Welcome to Top Class with me, Duncan Crawford, where we're talking about ADHD in the classroom. ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, is a growing concern in many education systems around the world. It's estimated that ADHD affects around 5 to 10% of children globally, with big variations between countries. It impacts how they learn and can often mean kids struggle to maintain their attention, can be hyperactive or behave impulsively, all of which can also disrupt the classroom. How should schools and teachers deal with it? Well, I'm glad to say I'm joined by two guests with distinct insights into ADHD. Sam Pittis, a radio presenter from the UK who was diagnosed with ADHD a few years ago and hosts a podcast on the subject called You're Wrong About ADHD. Hi, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Great to talk to you, Duncan. And also joining us is OECD analyst Cecilia Mezzanotte, who has done extensive work on inclusive education, including a focus on children with special needs and how to support students with ADHD. Hello, Cecilia. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, Sam, I'd like to start with you because you were diagnosed with ADHD a few years ago. When did you first suspect that you might have ADHD? I think for me, I mean, a lot of what you've just described in the introduction there fits the bill for me. And I think there was a long process of my life with mental health issues, with depression, of not quite knowing what was going on, but thinking there was something going on. And it was when I got married, it was when I got married and then we subsequently had two children where, honestly, somebody else saw my behaviour at close quarters and said, maybe there's something happening here. Um, and I went to a uh, counsellor, I'd had counselling you know, several times with different people. And my counsellor had sort of said to me, look, I was dealing with these issues of, of a build-up of anger and frustration, a sort of physical boiling inside that would usually end up in sort of angry outbursts. And when I went to this counsellor, she would help me deal with those, but then they'd come back and they'd build up again. And she said to me very gently, look, maybe you could consider looking at getting an ADHD diagnosis. And I think for me, that was a bit of a surprise because everything I knew about ADHD was about, you know, disruptive, naughty children who don't pay attention in the classroom. And that ne didn't necessarily fit the bill for me. Uh, but I looked into it, found out more about it, went and got diagnosed. And that's exactly what the issue was. So, so you knew something was wrong, but looking back at your childhood in school, you you weren't aware back then. It wasn't clear to you that ADHD was the cause. I think this is one of the interesting things is what we talk about on our podcast. And I think it's what lots of people who are diagnosed late in life talk about is a sense of looking back over your life and suddenly lots of things making sense. I was that disruptive child. I was the child who couldn't sit still, who felt a sort of physical sense when of boredom. I mean, the boredom is the word I would use about school. But it was actually a, a, a physical feeling, a sort of burning in my chest, my hair stabbing me, feeling like I, I could not sit still if my life depended on it, needing to call out, needing to create diversion in the classroom to give myself entertainment. You know, I look back now, there are letters from my parents to the school when I was seven asking for you know, special educational needs support. There's another um, series of letters from when I'm about 13 where I had behavioural support and educational psychologists saw me. And assessed me and now I look at some of the things that were said about me I look at the behaviors and it all just seems so obvious and, it, and in some senses I look at it and say how was it not noticed and I think the only way I can put that down to is the fact that you know it was oh, dating myself 20 25 years since I left school 
things have changed. And I think back then, perhaps wasn't as easy to diagnose or easy to spot. Let's bring Cecilia in. Is what Sam is describing there the sorts of behaviours that teachers should be looking out for and then reflecting to themselves that child might have ADHD and might need help? So I think this is very common uh, experience that we hear about. Um, there are different behaviors that this um, disorder can actually show in classrooms. So it might depend a lot also on the gender of the child that we are considering. So we know that boys tend to be more hyperactive in the classrooms. So the teachers may be seeing children that struggle to stay still and need to move constantly or that have some sort of fidgeting going on. Um, and there are also problems related to emotional regulation. So as Sam was mentioning, they might have problems manage their emotions. Uh, in girls, the presentation of the symptoms tend to differ a bit. So they might have uh, trouble stay focused or you could see a child that is looking out the window and struggling to stay uh, there and participate to the class. So there is a number of different things that teachers can look for. Um, these can also overlap at times with different disorders. So that's where it's important when they are considering to refer the child uh, for further evaluation uh, to hear also what the parents say, how the child behaves at home, uh, which sort of struggles they may have in remembering to do uh, daily tasks to help with the chores or uh, remembering to tell the parents, ah, I need to bring in a slip for school and have something signed or whether everything happens at the last second maybe. So uh, there is sometimes an issue with executive dysfunction, which may mean they know they have to do their homework, um, but they struggle to get started with certain activities because they are kind of blocked uh, and know that, yes, I have to do this, I have to do that, and I need to go and wash my teeth and, and then go to bed early. But then they kind of struggle to get there. So it's important to have both the side of the school and the family and eventually also the children are involved in this conversation to understand if this is the profile that fits. And Sam, are some of the issues there which Cecilia described, are they similar to some of the things which you were experiencing during school? Yes, certainly. I think I, I sort of, I remember that I was tested for dyslexia when I was you know, very early in my school career because I wasn't doing any work. I would just sit and not do it because I didn't want to do it. Um, I, I didn't have dyslexia and I wasn't, you know, ADHD wasn't spotted. But I think it's one of the things that has come up with the people I've spoken to about ADHD is that as you get older, you learn ways to manage. You learn that actually, you know, to have outbursts or to not do your work come with consequences whether that's being told off whether that's falling behind academically so you find ways to cope and um, with me I would find actually quite often those angry outbursts would would sort of give me the rush or give me the spur on to then get things done and I think because I was quite articulate and quite academically successful I think it masked a lot of my ADHD but actually those behaviors how I felt continued on into adult life they just became part of my personality and I found ways to sort of circumnavigate my my condition. I think part of the problem is that then, you know, people go under the radar and it stores up for problems later in life. You know, it stores up whether it's relationship problems or, or further sort of mental health issues. Tatilia is nodding there to a lot of what you've just said, Sam. Tatilia, is it difficult to differentiate between a child who is simply misbehaving due to boredom or showing off or whatever as opposed to a child who might be misbehaving because they have ADHD? So that depends also on the preparation of the teachers that they have in front of them. So it might be difficult for a teacher that is not informed on how different things are appearing in the classroom to understand 
what's happening with the child, whether there is some trauma behind certain behavioral issues, whether it's a different disorder, whether it's autism, which is why they often rely on the support of school counselors or also on uh, specialists outside the school. Um, what is typical of ADHD is that these difficulties need to occur for a longer period of time. So one of the criteria is that this needs to happen for more than six months already, has to have been there in some forms during childhood. And also um, another point that should be taken into consideration is that uh, these may happen in occurrence, these sort of behaviors may happen in, in occurrence with particular crisis and that should be excluded before going uh, for a diagnosis. So it, it's a lot about having trained professionals in the classroom, which is why certain systems are making sure that they issue guidelines or have particular courses for teachers to be prepared and be able to recognize what's happening with the children. And Sam, to bring you back in here, because your teachers clearly didn't know what was going on with you. And I want to ask you about your year seven report when you must have been around 11 years old or so, because you shared some details with me before we came on air. And your teacher wrote in your report about how you were disruptive, uh, loud, silly. Uh, they describe you as horribly irritable. How did you feel when you and your parents read that? Well, what's interesting is that was, um, it was the product of a sort of educational psychologist study. So I'd, I'd gone and had a sort of, a, I'd come out of geography every week and I'd go and talk to an educational psychologist. I don't remember the geography teacher being very pleased that I missed her lesson every week, but I got to go and sit with an educational psychologist and talk to her. And she wrote a report afterwards. And as part of that, all the teachers were asked their opinion of me. And I never saw that. It wasn't like an end of year report. It was a special report my parents saw. I've only seen that more recently. And it, it makes me quite sad to read it, to read that there were clearly teachers who were doing the job they've been asked to do. They were giving an assessment of my behaviour. They weren't necessarily being asked to, to study the whys and wherefores. But there are lots of words in there about how I'm immature and silly and socially inept. And, and, and there are teachers who talk of angry outbursts and it just... I think it staggers me to look at it and say, did nobody put this picture together and say maybe there was something else going on? Uh, one of the questions I'd like to ask Cecilia uh, is whether that, you know, and I can only talk from a UK picture, is to what extent that has changed, to what extent the sort of knowledge of ADHD has meant that the experience in school is different for children. So from the research we've done in the past few years, it shows that there is more awareness in general in education systems and throughout the uh, educational staff uh, body about ADHD and about other disorders like autism and so on. Um, it depends a lot on the country, how much attention there is to specific disorders or whether they try and support children a bit more generally uh, without having the need for a diagnosis and then trying to provide them with the means within classrooms to do as best as they can. Um, nevertheless, a lot of the education systems now have uh, guidelines or have specific instructions for teachers and telling them what they should do when they are wondering about the needs of a specific child, whether they should involve the family, whether they can directly refer children for further evaluation. But something that I think is interesting, for instance, uh, in one of the Italian regions, uh, Lombardy, there is a program specific to training teachers on recognizing students with ADHD, knowing their needs and understanding how to support them in the classroom. So there are these guidelines and courses that say things like, um, you should not try to make them stay still in the classroom. There is no 
result when you just go against them and say, stay still, follow me, listen to what I'm saying, but maybe give them occasions to get up and move and burn off some of the energy, send them to get papers in another room so they have an occasion to kind of let go some of the energy they're storing or other small uh, corrections they can start having in for a behavioral point of view, but also from an academic perspective. So you see, I think overall there is more understanding of what teachers are dealing with. And I think a difference is also that systems are becoming more and more integrated in the sense that there is less of a focus, not in every country, not in every system, but there is less of a focus on special education as an entirely separate word. So earlier it was more that children that would struggle and would have similar challenges, maybe they would be redirected towards special schools. So if you were in mainstream education, you would not have in front of you someone that knew uh, how to recognize certain problems or deal with that. And I think now that's changing a bit. You mentioned a few times there about how things are changing, but are there still some people, some teachers who still say that the type of behaviour we've been describing, that this is simply the behaviour of a naughty child and that children just need to learn how to behave, they need to be disciplined, they need clearer barriers, that kind of reaction. Yeah, I'm sure this still occurs. It's definitely less than ideal what is happening in school, even nowadays. We've seen some research with interviews to teachers seeing that they sometimes do not understand well the disorder or they do not feel prepared enough to support the, the, the students. And there is also some data that shows that even when a diagnosis occurs for the child, teachers need a reflection time understand what that actually implies, what that means for the child and how they need to adapt their teaching, their classroom setting to understand exactly what to do. But the, the normal sometimes reaction for people that are not aware of this need is to kind of go on a defensive and say, well, what, what am I supposed to do with this? So there is a process in involving teachers and getting them there. It's really encouraging to hear that things are changing. I think, you know, one of the stories for me is when I was in, I was probably year two, so we're talking sort of end of the 80s into the 90s. I was, one of my teachers just decided I was too much and used to send me to the year above. And I wouldn't necessarily do the classwork. I would go and sit on the desk of this other teacher and do, I used to do drawings and do just non-curricular work. And it was it was essentially saying, this person is disrupting my class. I haven't got a way to teach him. I can't deal with him. I'm going to send him away. And it was my mum who actually said, look, you're not teaching my son and we need to address that. I think one of the things I've sort of learned from doing my podcast and talking to, to different experts is, is the way that there is still such a, certainly here in the UK, it's quite patchy in terms of both provision and understanding. So there are some schools which are really geared up to this. There are some teachers who really understand this, but then there are places where this is, you know, totally a totally alien concept. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very that's very accurate. Also, because the training in this area, or in general in the area of special education needs and inclusive education, is not systematic throughout the education system. So maybe that might become mandatory for younger generation of teachers, but the others that have been in the system for a while, maybe they have not had a chance to get trained in these areas. So there is definitely still a lack of support in this sense. Sam, if you've been given extra support, for example, changes to the environment around you to try to limit distractions or extra extra help with staying organised. Do you think that would have made a difference to your schooling? I think it would have made a difference to how I felt. I mean, honestly, I, 
in the end, I managed, I got through and I, and I did OK. But yes, I think in terms of making it a more enjoyable and more engaged experience, I think it certainly would. I think one of the things that I, you know, I question, though, is whether I think it's what you is saying is, is do we say here are a group of people who need some special support and we need to treat them differently? Or do we actually need to change the education system so that it takes into consideration that there are different types of brains and people who learn in different ways. You know, with ADHD, we're talking about one in 20 people potentially who have ADHD. That's not a, a sort of small, tiny portion of the population who need to be treated differently. I think what you're looking at here in the UK is a, you know, dare I say, a Victorian education system. And yes, things have greatly improved and my children are at school and they, they go to a great school. But you are still asking people to learn in a certain way, to sit in rows and to take in information and, you know, there is this balance between saying we need to teach children guidelines and boundaries and how to function in society, but we also need to teach them in a way that meets their needs. And I think that's not just sort of ghettoizing, or maybe that's the wrong word, or separating off you know, a certain group of people, but actually saying we have a diverse range of needs in the class. It may be neurodiversity, it may be different things. How can we best teach everybody? And Tertilia, Sam's raising a point here, which is raised in countless discussions about education and education systems, which is the need to revolutionise in many areas, but often education systems in particular are very, very hard to change. So to what extent do you think some of the issues which Sam raised there, that there are possibilities to make those kinds of changes happen? I think this is a very interesting point, and it goes back to the core of the work that we do on inclusive education. So what inclusive education discusses is the needs for education systems to be adapted and be in a continuous process of change to be able to respond to the needs of different students, which includes students uh, like students with ADHD that have special education needs, but also immigrant students recognizing different needs for gender, different LGBTQIA uh, plus students. And these needs should be addressed overall. Uh, by every education system. Um, there are different models of how this is being done, done across education systems uh, across OECD countries. For instance, in Portugal, they developed a very big reform a few years ago in 2018 to try and make their system more inclusive. They stopped having special schools. They turned special schools into resource centers that can help other schools with their specialized knowledge in a way that they want everyone in the same classroom and to give them the support that they need in the classroom. It's a whole process that is taking a long time to get every stakeholder on board and make sure that it is efficient also to try and respond to these needs that are there when they're happening without expecting the child to adapt to the system, but vice versa. Sam, you want to ask a question, please go ahead. One of the things about my ADHD, and I think it's probably part of having an English school upbringing as well, is that you are trapped between this desire to have an outburst of emotion and also the very English thing of saying, I'm going to keep all this inside and I should be able to sit in rows and I should be able to be a functioning member of society and I, and I, you know, I, I shouldn't expect to be treated differently. And I suppose I don't quite know where I come down on that. I mean, I think you know, we, we obviously need to have provision for young people with ADHD, but there, there has to be a balance. And I suppose what I'm asking is there is obviously a challenge for the teaching profession of saying, yes, we need to take into consideration that some people need to go outside and let off steam and can't just, you know, learn when we tell them to learn. And yes, some people need to be treated differently, but there's a balance between saying we need to take ADHD into consideration 
and also saying but sometimes we need to teach these children there are boundaries and we need to teach these children that they just have to do what they're told that's that's quite a challenging thing to, to sort of build a curriculum around i would think yeah i agree i'm sure that that's one of the biggest challenges for teachers to consider there is a fine line probably for teachers to be walked on to try and understand how to help the children express themselves and manage their needs, but also at the same time ensure that they can grow and be a part of a society that will require certain things from them. So I think that the technical preparation of the teachers is going to make the difference. But at the same time, there are also courses for parents to learn how to help their children build a routine, a structure, and get used to function in a certain way. So I think the double help and intervention and support both from the family and the teachers can help get it right in terms of knowing that you have certain needs and you can move and express yourself. But at the same time, there can be specific interventions to try and help the children be more organized, teach them how to take notes, how to schedule themselves, how to make sure to stick to a certain routine. So I think it's a very, very complicated question. It's also one of the things that teachers uh, talk about when they say they have challenges in managing their classrooms because so many children have different needs among each other and they have big classrooms to manage and that means maybe sometimes not having the time to dedicate for each individual child. And often children who are diagnosed with ADHD there's often a chance that the child will have other conditions as well. Could you outline some of those, Cecilia? So the data shows that there is a comorbidity between ADHD and other disorders. So it's very typical for children, up to 90% of the children that have ADHD might have another disorder. This could be uh, having an autism uh, disorder or um, anxiety or depression, um, but other things like uh, oppositional disorders. And it's difficult to understand which symptoms are connected to which disorder. So, of course, there needs to be a holistic approach to the needs of the child. So it does not have to be simply like you have this uh, disorder or you have this neuroatypicity and this is going to be a list of things that you do and a list of things that you need. It's, it's going to be a lot about recognizing in that child what they're struggling with, what they're struggling to learn and try to adapt the teaching around them. And Sam, in your case, you were diagnosed with other conditions as well. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I had several bouts of depression. I mean, I, I, over my life, I suffered from depression a lot. And when I was finally diagnosed with ADHD, medication didn't work for me. It doesn't work for everybody. It works for about 80% of people. And I got very down and actually I found um, a psychiatrist who was really helpful and he said he believed I had traits of borderline personality disorder and essentially it's it's being unable to regulate your emotions I mean a sort of quick idea to explain that is that you live in the extremes so it's either everything's awful or everything's perfect which obviously sets up you know those extremes of emotion lead to quite big the ups and downs lead to quite big crashes and they can lead to quite big problems in relationships and in life. And actually, I've had quite a lot of um, what's called DBT therapy, which helped me to, to deal with that. And I mean, my belief, and I think it's you know, a fairly reasonable supposition, is that living so long with undiagnosed ADHD and finding pretty unhelpful ways to cope with my ADHD caused that comorbidity. So Sam, how do you feel the experience of not being diagnosed with ADHD, what impact did that have on your adult life? Essentially, the things that I had done as a child carried on into adult life. So, I mean, I I think one of the things that people with ADHD often do is you, 
you find a workplace that suits you. And I went into journalism where, you know, it didn't, I worked odd hours and I worked in newsrooms where you, you weren't expected to sit at a desk and necessarily, you know, you had to be professional, but there was a lot of high emotion. There was a lot of stimulation. There was a lots of sort of joking and, and, and a sort of a sense that you didn't necessarily need to sit still and behave in a way that you may have done in school. And, and that's what I sought out. But I think still I would go into work and I would look for a buzz and I'd have that buzz and I'd get sort of high intensity in terms of doing my job. And then I'd get to the end of the week and there'd be an emotional crash and I might have to spend a day or two in bed not being able to function. I mean, genuinely not being able to speak, not being able to put one foot in front of the other. And that, I think, was the you know, the big thing for me as an adult was that behavior that nobody saw because I would shut myself away at the weekend. It wasn't something I shared with people. But I would have this sort of really high adrenaline rush of work or even perhaps in a social setting, I'd be having a great time. And then suddenly I was on the floor, you know, unable to get myself dressed, unable to to function. And I think had my ADHD been diagnosed earlier, it's a long answer to your question, um, then probably I could have avoided some of that. And do you see that across the board, that early intervention does have a positive impact overall? I would say that in general, yes. Uh, so having a diagnosis when children are still young can actually help them understand why they're feeling certain things, why they're struggling maybe in school or to follow directions. They maybe want to actually behave and be able to do well in school but struggle to understand why they can't seem to function like their peers. Uh, so having that can actually help them understand and learn progressively to cope better with their symptoms, uh, understand how to manage their struggles. But it also helps the families so they know that it's not just bad behavior to correct what is happening, but that they can actually uh, make a certain change to their daily lives and accommodate some of these needs. And at the same time, also in schools, it's going to mean that you're not just being told that you're silly and that you're not behaving as you should or that you're not applying enough effort to try and succeed, but teachers are going to understand where you're coming from and ideally, we hope, be there to actually support you through this. A simple example is that now I know I've got ADHD, there are situations in my family life, in my work life, in my relationships where I can see a potential problem coming down the tracks and I can avoid it. So I know that if I don't get enough sleep, I know that if I get really focused on doing something, I might forget to eat for you know, 10 hours. And I know that that is going to store up problems in the future. I know that when I'm getting really annoyed about something or I'm getting really stressed about something, that what I need to do is pay attention to how I'm feeling rather than just ignoring it. And I know that because I know now that I've got a neurological condition. Now, that is a massive step towards being able to deal with how I feel, how I behave, and therefore how my behaviour affects other people. So if you can teach people that at a younger age, then it essentially gives them ways to manage their ADHD as they grow older. So given what you just said there, Sam, from a personal perspective, what would you like to see happen in schools nowadays? to make sure diagnoses happen more easily and that treatment happens more easily? I think the first thing from the conversation we've had here and some of the conversations I've had in the past with people is that I think there needs to be more awareness. So it's great that the school system has changed you know, here in the UK, that there is more understanding of it, that there are teachers who are looking out for it. But the fact that there can be children who go into schools where that provision isn't available, where that understanding isn't there, 
means that they don't get the same chance. So I think it's about raising awareness so that we are in a situation where you know, we may not yet be able to completely overhaul the school environment or the school curriculum. But if we are at least in a situation where teachers have the understanding to help spot that condition, then I think that's quite a good starting point. To tell you, what sort of treatments or interventions, if any, should children be receiving? Are there specific ones which are recommended globally? More than treatments, what I would say is that we see now that schools tend to offer accommodations to students when they recognize their diagnosis and see that they have ADHD. And an issue that we find is that research actually highlighted how some of these things are not necessarily helpful for students. So a lot of systems have individual education plans or similar documents when they set a series of provisions for students that have specific special education needs and say, this is what you need so you can have, well, I don't know, more time to finish your assignments, you can have some breaks, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you check the academic research, you see the results are not so in favor of some of these accommodations in particular. So providing a child with ADHD with more time to finish an assignment when they have a relatively uh, grasp on how to manage their time might not be the best intervention there. So something that would need to be done throughout the OECD for different education systems is to put the supports that are in legislation up to par with what the research is showing us. So there are some interventions that can be more helpful than others. So there are some papers that have shown that things like teaching organizational skills to children, teaching them to take notes effectively might work well, while in other schools you might find that teachers are giving their notes to the child saying, you're struggling with this, I'm just giving you my notes. But this is not really gonna help them overcome the issue, it's just gonna avoid it and try to say, well, you have your nose study here. I think I'm right in saying that the definition and classification of ADHD around the world varies greatly. For example, ADHD is not considered a learning disability in most OECD systems, but it is in some countries. So how does that complicate matters when trying to get a policy response which is effective? It can complicate things in systems that need a specific classification for help to be provided in classrooms. So if a child needs to be recognized as having a disability, then classifying ADHD in a certain way or another might be an impairment to the help that teachers can actually provide them in classrooms. It depends a lot on the general governance of the system. So the classification issues are very complicated. There is also an issue of a stigma going together with certain classifications. So we see that the stigma on the labels can also create problems for children. Um, so that's a very big discussion that I think education system need to reflect on how what we are defining as legislation is actually impacting students within our schools and classes. Sam, let's bring it back to you for a second. And if parents are listening to this, what should they be doing? I think my parents looked for help but weren't sure where to find it. And honestly, weren't sure what they were asking for help with. I think hopefully with the information we've got out there about ADHD and the understanding about it, um, parents can, you know, once they can understand what's going on with their child, there's lots more resource, there's lots more places where they can look and find that um, information. And I think from there, it's just about getting yourself educated about, you know, what your child's needs are, um, supporting them through that treatment, talking to the school. It may be a question of going into the school and saying, you don't feel their provision is adequate. So, so making the case for that, I think, you know, you need to be an advocate for your child. Hopefully you won't need to be, hopefully the, the school will help, but it may be a parent, as a parent you need to advocate for that. I think one thing I would say is also not to 
panic too much. I mean, you know, this is a condition that can be treated. This is a condition that can be managed. This is a part of your child that, um, you know, they can still go on to have a really successful life and they can still go on to be academically successful. It's just something that you need to get to grips with rather than something that necessarily will have a detriment effect on their their life going forward. And Jatelia, I saw you nodding along to most of that, but if there's anything you want to add, if parents are listening to this, is there anything they should think about doing in particular? So I just want to highlight what Sam said, that engaging with the school, I think, is one of the most important things for me. So ensuring that the needs of their child are recognised, but also learn from the school. Uh, depending on the context where the child might be, uh, the teachers may be very well prepared. They might know already what's happening and asking them for advice on, well, what should be we be doing at home? So is there a way we can help ensure that our child is also doing their homework or then anything that we need to be aware of? Having a routine in general should be helpful. So having a system at, at home to make sure that the child goes to bed early enough because sleep deprivation can make the symptoms of ADHD worse or make sure they're not engaging with technology too long because then they might hyper-focus and then it's difficult to change activities or to go back to homework because you're still thinking about the game you were playing. All these small things can be learned. Parents can be very well aware of what works and what doesn't for their child. So I think exchanging constantly with the school should be the way to go for parents. All excellent information. Thank you both for your time for this discussion. To those listening, if you want more information about ADHD, there are lots of official government sites, medical organisations and charities with loads of information about it. The OECD has also published papers on the topic, including one by Cecilia Mezzanotti. So please have a search and have a read if you want to learn more. Uh, thanks again to my guests, radio presenter Sam Pittis and OECD analyst Cecilia Mezzanotti. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. And please do join me again for another episode of Top Class soon. All the best. Yeah.